Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's now stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to John 15 again and read verses 14 and 15. John 15, 14. This is the Word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So last Sunday... We thought through those well-known words of Jesus, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. In context, the Son of God was exhorting these friends, those friends, the disciples uh, that had been with him for those three years of ministerial training. And he was exhorting them that they, would, they were going to have to love one another. And that love they would have for one another would find its ultimate expression even in giving their lives up for one another. In death for one another. And so we return to this passage again and dig more into Jesus' exhortation to love here. Notice that verses 12 and 17 form bookends of this passage uh, both, both, give, both of those verses give Jesus' command to his men that they love one another. And so it makes this little compact um, bookend. God is commanding them to love one another. It's a command to love one another. A command. And it's awkward, right? Because we say... That love must be natural, it must be unprovoked, right? It must be uncommanded. It really has to be spontaneous or it's not truly love, right? It, it can't be like, you know, a command. But that's a wrong, modern, psychologized version of what it means to love. Love is a command. It's a command, Scripture commands us to love, right? The Son of God gave his commandments, and it was to love. So quite obviously, love is not primarily a vibe or a subjective inward emotional warmth. Love is action. Love is covenanted action, right? Love is covenanted action that puts others and others' benefits above your own benefits, That's what love is. If God had expressed his covenantal love for us and then the Son did not become a man for the purpose of redeeming us, if he had had remained inactive, God just said, hey, I love you. 
and then remained inactive, if his love had remained merely an inactive affection, it would be hard to call that a love for helpless, sinful mankind. Right? Love is not inactive affection. At the very least, the affection of love is primarily demonstrated in action for the genuine good of others. How do you know your mother loves you? How do you know your mother loves you? She irons your shirts. Right? She serves you, children. She serves you night and day. She counsels you when you struggle. She packs your lunch. She runs you to soccer practice and, and karate, right? She delights when you perform in the play. She consoles you when you forget the piece you memorized for your recital. Torture. How do we know about God's love for us? Yes, he has told us. Yes, he has, he has affection for us. But most clearly, we know God's love by his wonderful redemptive actions. Right? But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we know that God loves us. The incarnation, the holy life, the, the preaching, the healing, the death, the resurrection of Christ for sinners is how you and I most clearly know that God is love and that God loves us. In other words, love does involve the feelings or affections, but, and this is where we perhaps get love wrong today, love involves a duty to action. Love acts. This is taught to us in this passage in the Apostle John's Gospel. Love means laying down your life for others. That's love. That's when you know you love somebody. You lay down your life for them. And it is restated in the Apostle John's first letter. In that letter, he says this, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but but in deed and truth. Love works out by deeds. Okay? How do you know uh, God's love? Christ died for you. How do you know other people's love for you? They serve you. They serve you some night and day. How do others know your love for them? You serve them. You weep with them. You rejoice with them. You provide for them. You humbly warn them when they're in danger, right? You clothe. You feed them. All those ways, that's, that's love in action. And on the other hand, we... So that's my point here, is, is love is not just a, a, an actionless affection or emotion. On the other hand, 
We have to be careful that action, service, works for others arise only out, not, you know, arise only out of a sense of duty or obligation and, um, and without any sense of uh, inner affection, out of a love in the heart for them and for God. This is proven by the Apostle Paul's statement at the beginning of, of chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians, right? The, the great definition of love, right? If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to the poor, to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Right? So in other words, we could be all action give all possessions to the poor, right? We're just really scrupulous about that. We give all of our possessions to the poor and still lack love, right? So love is more than action. Love is what is poured out in our hearts when we are given the Holy Spirit, and that love is from God, and that changes our hearts from stone to flesh, and it's a deep affection and warmth of heart toward God and toward our fellow image bearers, our fellow man. So love is both affection and action. It's both of those things. We could be all action and lack love, right? And we could be all like affection and, and we, we just, just um, you know, not have true love. It's, it is warmth of heart and, and motivation to service. It is... I guess the way I'd put it is, is love is both heart and hands, okay? If you love God, you will enjoy him and serve him. If you love your spouse, you will enjoy him or her, and you will serve him or her. If you love your friends, you will enjoy them, right? And you, you, will, you will have warmth of heart toward them, and you will serve them. Um, what about your enemies? Will you enjoy them and serve them? Well, on some level, even with your enemies, you must have some affection for them. Pity them for their unbelief or for their own suffering, for example, and you most certainly are called to serve them. Think of that part of love. And Jesus teaches us this, but I say to you who, you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also, and whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, well, what credit is that to you, for even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. 
and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. And then it ties it right to the character of God as love, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. So be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So truly, it is only the Christian who can love his enemies. Only the Christian loves his enemies. Without the love of Christ poured out in the heart, man will hate and vilify and seek to destroy their enemies. Love is not possible for uh, the unregenerate. Love is not possible for idol worshipers. Love is not possible for atheists. Love is not possible for any who do not understand that they, as sinners, have been loved by a holy God. Now, I think I've made my point. Love is not mere action, and it's not mere affection. Love is affectionate action. Uh, Love is heart and hands. Love is feeling and responsibility, right? Love is inward and outward. Love is word and deed. It's both of those things. That's, That's love. When we split those two things apart, we can go off the rails on either side. Do you love? Do you love? Here's how you can know. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So if you want to know, you look at Jesus, you see what Jesus did in laying down his life for the brethren, and then you see yourself laying down your life for the brethren. You know you love when, A, you truly understand the significance and the heart behind Jesus' death for you, and you revel in it. It's your, it's your daily joy, right? You think about the fact that me as a wicked sinner, forgiven through the action, the love of Jesus Christ. And then, B, you lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how you know. A little test from Scripture. Now, back in our passage in John 15... Jesus states that one of the obligations of love is that we lay down our life for our friends. This is more than stepping in front of a bullet. It is also giving up your time, your comfort, provisions for the comfort and good of others. Jesus then says that you are his friend if you do what he commands. Right? right there, and that's, where, that's what I want to think about a little. You are his friend if you do what he commands. And perhaps objections start arising in your mind at that statement. What does friendship have to do with obeying commands? I thought friendship was a situation where there was, you know, level. It's devoid of command. It's devoid of authority. What does friendship have to do with obeying commands? We think obedience to another person means we are slaves of that person and not friends, don't we? That's just our default setting. Um, if if in be, obedience is involved to another person, that means we're slaves and, and the friendship is, is not there. We dislike authority. We also lack humility, so our our obedience becomes a grudging expression of our resentment. 
You might obey, but you make that person know you're unhappy obeying, right? You know, it's like when you ask your kid to do something and they're like, and they roll their eyes. And she rolls her eyes. <laughs> and when we submit to authority, we only do so so that we can, you know, so often we'll only do it so that we can go from the act and of begrudging obedience to tell other people who hate authority how heavy-handed and unkind and dangerous authorities are. Right? We've been psychologized. We've been therapized. That's not a word. I made it up. Jesus anticipates these objections with his next sentence. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Now that's, that's helpful, that's interesting. Love to the Son of God, friendship with the Son of God is obedience to the Son of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, he said. Ryle says, we are not to dream that we are Christ's friends if we do not habitually practice his commands, right? We're, we can't dream that we're his friends if we're not obeying his commands. That's what the, this point-blank statement of Scripture. And for someone who does not really know Christ or who has a false profession or who is unregenerate, such obedience will always seem like slavery. It will be giving up joy. It will be loss instead of gain. Okay? You mean give up my pleasures? Give up the things most precious to me in this life? No, that's slavery. In fact, so proud are we that any obedience to any authority always seems like slavery to us and not friendship. How many of us consider it nothing less than slavery to have to obey our bosses at work? Slavery. How many of, of you elders and pastors consider it slavery to have to submit to your brothers in the presbytery? Especially the Sessional Records Committee. How many of you wives consider it slavery to have to submit to your beloved husband in everything as the scriptures teach? Slavery. How many of you children consider it slavery to have to obey your parents? How many of us consider it slavery to be in a church that practices church discipline? How many of us consider it slavery to have to pay your taxes? This one hurts a little bit right now. Even though the Holy Spirit tells us to render to all what is due to them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. On some level or another, if we, if we owe obedience to someone else, as outlined in God's inerrant word... We conclude that we are slaves and those relationships now are not based on friendship and, and devoid of love. 
completely swept clean of love, if there's any hierarchy, any obedience. If, if we deny this, we, we just don't know our hearts, right? If you're sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't think that, you just don't know your heart. You, you, you haven't looked at how, how you respond to even the slightest authority. We're stubborn, just like Israel. Why would we think we're any different? We're stubborn just like Israel, and we're postmodernists who, who think that obedience should, should play no real part in love. Obedience? That's a lack of love. Well, Jesus contradicts such a view. Obedience, dear brothers and sisters, is a part of love. It is a part of love, first and foremost, the love between you and your Savior, Jesus. If you love me, you will obey my commands. But it's not just limited to that relationship between you and Almighty God and you and His Son. So again, to return to Jesus' statement, He says that even though they are to obey Him, this does not mean that they are slaves. Okay, that's what He goes on to say. You must obey me if you love me. But I, I don't call you slaves. In fact, it means that, they, that we are his friends. And he proves this by saying, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You are not slaves if you are in Christ. Why? Jesus tells them, because you know what I am doing. You know what I am doing unlike a slave not knowing anything about what his master is doing. Right? And because you have been taught everything Jesus heard from his father. Slaves don't get those things. They don't get an explanation from their master about the whys and what's of what's going on and what they're doing. They, they also do not get the privilege of being taught all that is important. They have a task and one task, and they're to do that task, and they're not to ask why. They are simply to do what they are told, and they are simply to know what they currently know with no advancement. That's a slave, right? Now, it must be said that that is how some people approach their own authority, isn't it? When we are in a position of authority as a boss, an elder, a husband, a mother, a father, we often just gruffly insist on obedience without giving any, any explanation of our mission or demonstrating any commitment to the building up of those that we have authority over. We treat those under our authority as slaves. We refuse to dignify them as having a commitment, you know, by, by showing them a commitment to them as, as friends. We expect obedience without explaining any what's and why's. This should not be. When we expect obedience of our children, we ought to explain to them why 
And we ought to make it clear to them that we pursue this not merely to assert our authority over them or to be punitive, but we do it because we love them. We are being a friend to them. The best bosses you've ever had were the ones who explain why they require something of you and how it fits into the big picture of what's going on, right? The husband will explain to a wife why he insists on a certain direction in the relationship of their home and reveal to her where in Scripture he got that principle. It's not arbitrary, honey. It actually is, is laid out. I'm convicted by this passage, and, and we, we are failing here. Can we, can this is, you know, can we make some progress here? Our government, our government ought to give explanations of why they insist on us paying our taxes. They should. And what goals they are seeking to meet. But none of us has time to read through a 16,000 page budget. But they need to explain it to us. If they had love for us, that is indeed what the government would do. Um, they would do if they considered us friends. They would not do it if they considered us slaves. So I'll leave it to you to decide how they're treating us. So we're learning from this passage that there are obligations for those who are in authority and for those who are um, under authority. For those who are under authority, we learn that obedience is actually a part of love or friendship. And for those who are in authority, we learn that leadership means a commitment to two things, an explanation of the mission and a building up of those under your authority. That's what this passage teaches. As Christ does for his disciples, so we must do for those we lead. Our children ought to know the mission and know that we are committed to their good. Right? Also, our children ought to be committed to loving their parents, which means they will obey. Do your children feel like slaves or sons or daughters? And I'm sorry, for any parent, that is a painful question to ask. Isn't it? Do your children feel like slaves or like sons and daughters? Do your employees feel like slaves or friends? Do your church members feel like slaves or, or brothers and sisters? Do, do, uh, do your taxpayers feel like slaves or like ungrateful supporters of the civil magistrates' protection and kindness. You know, the government is very kind to us in so many respects. Without them, we would be much, 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 much worse off. And in fact, God has made them one of his ministers. It's mind-boggling. So... Don't forget either side of the equation, brothers and sisters. Obedience is how you love those in authority. That's actually how you love those. That's how you're a friend to those who are in authority of you, 
above you. Obedience. Obedience is how you love those in authority. Familiar communication, showing one's heart and mind is how you love those under your authority. Both sides are very difficult. They require the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us into helpfulness. When we are under authority, we assume we are slaves. When we are in authority, we assume others are slaves. And so everything we, we decree, at the end of it, we go, Mu-ha-ha. Whereas our culture, think about this for a moment, our culture, and this is the heart of both the social justice movement and, and the egalitarian movement, think of this, has determined that authority is bad and can't ever exist without resentment and antagonism. Whereas they teach that, Jesus taught us that authority is good and can exist in a relationship of love. Our culture completely rejects that message. Authority is an absolute, unmitigated just pure bad. And wherever it exists, it must be destroyed. Friendship with God involves obedience out of love, and the friendship of God condescends to treat us like friends rather than slaves. This is a no, I mean, I mean, think about it. Do, did God Almighty explain his mission to you? I mean, it's just, I mean, he's been so clear. He's, he's shown us himself. He's, he's pled with us. He's pouring out, he, he poured out his heart in these pages and, and left it with us. Not to mention the fact that his very son became a man. So friendship with God involves obedience out of love, and the friendship of God condescends to treat us like friends rather than slaves. This is in no way to set aside God's authority. He is to be obeyed as the omnipotent God, and his Son insists that love toward him is the, by means of that obedience. Okay, But the very fact that Jesus Christ came to make known to us all things that he heard from the Father is proof of the love of God for sinners, is proof of his friendship with you. It's proof that his commitment to us goes beyond the cold commitment of a master to his slaves. Right? The, the, the commitment of God to us as his children is, is the commitment of tender condescension, of patient instruction, of friendship, and of covenantal love. Mind-boggling. Think about Jesus' own submission to his Father. There are some evangelical feminists who want to say that there was no submission by the Son to the Father because they just can't believe that love can involve obedience and submission. Right? But Jesus, who loved his Father, did everything and spoke everything that the Father required of him. His love for his father involves and involves obedience. 
And the father proclaimed the mission and built up his obedient son when announced through the prophets the coming Messiah. And when he spoke from the heavens and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The son obeys the father and the father does not treat his son like an annoying slave. Even what Jesus requires of us, Jesus has done. He submits to the Father and he receives from the Father both orders and encouragements. He acknowledges both his Father's absolute authority and, and his everlasting covenantal love, encouragement, and closeness. Jesus requires of us submission to him and he sustains us by the glorious promises of Scripture. He encourages us. He is an absolute authority over us. And yet mindful that we are but dust and that without his grace and mercy, we just couldn't bear up under the weight of even one of the simplest of his commands. So love, brothers and sisters, is at the root of both submission and authority. Love is. If we are working to set aside or vilify authority or we are tyrants in our exercise of authority, we have not begun to understand the friendship that should characterize the relationship between believers and Jesus Christ. And so let's repent of our loveless submission and our loveless exercise of authority. May we express our love for Christ in both our obedience to authority and our kind exercise of authority if God should give us that responsibility. All of us have to do both of those things because all of us at times are in authority and at other times under authority. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for your kindness toward us. In your Son, Jesus. Father, I pray that our love for your Son would, would look like obedience, would be obedience. And Father, I pray that, that when we are given responsibility to lead to be the one who can discipline, that our discipline would come with an explanation of your mission, an explanation of the whys and whats from your word. And so even our discipline would be obviously motivated by love rather than, Father, how it often is for us, annoyance and anger. Lord, would you help us in this, please? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.